Welcome to The Dialogue, the podcast of the College in Arts and Sciences at Lehigh University. I'm Jody Eichler-Levine, Associate Professor of Religion Studies and the Philip and Muriel Berman Chair of Jewish Civilization. Today, we'll be talking about my research on Jewish women, craft, and creativity. Last May, I found myself at a small, rather stylish hotel in suburban Atlanta, trying to sew the tiniest beads I have ever seen onto a needlepoint canvas. I was in a hotel suite with five other women, all Jewish, and an instructor. Why was I doing this? In the name of research. I was spending three days at the biennial convention of the Pomegranate Guild of Jewish Needlework as part of my current book research and something that in academia we call participant observation. Let me back this up a bit. A lot of times when I tell people that I am a professor, they ask me what I teach. When I say religion studies and Jewish studies, I get a lot of interesting reactions. Sometimes they expect me to be sort of like a rabbi or a minister. Sometimes they expect that I know every verse of the Hebrew Bible or that I am somehow judgmental of their religious behavior or want to convert them to something. In fact, that is not what I do. I do study religion with a focus on Jews in modern America because I like to understand what makes people tick. To do that, I use tools from a lot of different fields, literature, sociology, history, anthropology, and philosophy, to name a few. And I do read the Hebrew Bible, but more to understand how people use it in the modern world than to learn about its origins. My current book project borrows most heavily from the field of sociology. I'm in the middle of writing a book tentatively called Crafting Judaism. It focuses on how women's religious identities overlap with their creative activities. Now, I'm defining creative activity fairly broadly. It's a category that includes knitting, pottery, quilting, sewing, songwriting, and a host of other things. The data that I study in this project comes from a lot of different sources. One is an online survey of over 300 respondents that I conducted last year. Now I'm in a new phase, doing one-on-one -on -one interviews with women all over the country and sometimes speaking with women in groups. Now back to Atlanta. Why was I sewing beads onto a needlepoint canvas when I have never before attempted needlepoint in my life? Well, that's where this term participant observation comes in. One of the best ways to learn about what people do is not just to talk to them about it, it's to do it with them. That's what we call participant observation. It's a form of ethnography or the study of people where instead of just asking people about what they do, you learn it. So there are fantastic religious studies books by people who have visited churches and gotten involved in the life of the church, not as a religious person, but in order to better understand what people do. That's kind of what I'm doing with the Pomegranate Guild. The Pomegranate Guild of Judaic Needlework is over 40 years old. It started in the late 1970s in the greater New York City area 
when a small group of Jewish women and a few men decided that they wanted to produce more beautiful Jewish work, especially Jewish textiles, and they wanted to learn more about Jewish history and symbols and art history in order to do it. Since that time, the Pomegranate Guild has become a national and even international organization. It includes member chapters in Arizona, California, the Midwest, the Northeast, uh, Western Massachusetts, and even Canada, which is where their next convention will take place in two more years. So part of how I'm learning more about the everyday life of Jewish women is by studying the Pomegranate Guild. Now, before doing this research, I will confess that I was involved in some fiber arts. I was a knitter. That's part of where the idea for this project emerged. But I had not picked up a sewing needle since I was a very small girl uh, pushing the needle in and out of a little bit of an embroidery hoop. What I'll share with you today is just a few vignettes from my research so you can get a sense of the metaphorical texture of what it's like to study religion by talking with people in their homes, at their conventions, and really getting a sense of what they're doing in everyday life. One of my favorite interviews was in the Los Angeles area with Kathy Perlmutter. Kathy is a freelance writer and a former president of the Pomegranate Guild. She's a quilt artist who's exhibited in shows and also has a blog spectacularly called The Gefilte Quilt. I'm going to describe one of Kathy's objects in order to give you a sense of just how creative Jewish women can be in their modern use and remaking of Jewish ritual objects. In Kathy's very, very sunny, warm home, which was filled to overflowing with bolts of cloth and completed projects and vintage sewing machines, she showed me a matzah cover. Now, a matzah cover is used on the holiday of Passover, and uh, typically th three pieces of matzah are placed inside of it, and they can be decorated in pretty much any way you want. Kathy showed me a piece she had titled, Old Plagues on Them, New Plagues on Us. It was an amazing hodgepodge of different images. The top half of the matzah cover showed Plagues associated with the story of the exodus from Egypt, um, slavery, blood, frogs, all of the things that are part of the exodus story of uh, the departure of the Israelites from Egypt. The bottom half of the matzah cover, though, contained Kathy's interpretation of modern plagues circa the late 1990s when she completed the piece. So it had images of guns, actually, which is very chilling when we think about uh, this week's news. It had images of SUVs because Kathy's very concerned about environmental degradation. It had images of cell phones, and in the interview she found herself reminiscing, saying, I wonder why I put cell phones in. Oh, I think it was because of texting, because of texting and driving when that was coming in. So I bring up the old plagues on them, new plagues on us, as an example of what I would call a kind of modern midrash, a modern interpretation of Jewish stories, but in this case, one that happens materially. I'm not the first scholar to notice that midrash can happen in art, not just in writing, but I am probably the first person interviewing this many Jewish quilters, sewers, potters, writers, and composers 
at least uh, at this particular moment. There are different ways that what we loosely call Jewish manifests in my research. I'm going to give you three examples of how Jewishness comes out in women's creativity. One is the way that they invoke a God or some form of spirituality or a deity in their answers to my questions. So in response to my survey, one woman very evocatively wrote that she was, quote, an embroiderer of prayers. She used the image of the embroiderer of her craft to discuss the ways that prayer intentions come into the amulets that she creates. Another woman wrote, yes, I think God is very much present in the act of creating. She said, the creative process itself is a holy experience. So that's one vector along which women may understand their activities um, as religious. They often will say that they see holiness or God as present in the process of creation and in their creations. I should add very briefly that um, men's creativity is also important. And I've also got some respondents who identify as genderqueer or somewhere on a gender continuum. But I am focusing especially on people who identify as women. The second way that Jewishness comes out is in what kinds of objects people create. So there's a plethora of ritual objects that I've been coming across in my research. There's a lot of covers, a lot of beautifully covered up things. Hala covers, Torah covers, tablecloths, covers that go over the couple when they are being married. That's called a chuppah or a wedding canopy. People make ritualistic cups for seders, for Jewish ritual meals at Passover. They make beautiful wimples, which are swaddling cloths wrapped around a baby at the time of circumcision that are then turned into a Torah binder, something wrapped around the Torah and donated to synagogues. That's a practice that actually emerged in early modern Germany, but one that has come in vogue in modern America, not just among Jews of German descent, but among other Jews as well. So this revival of an older practice, something that we can see in museums, is also part of a kind of Jewish craft revival today. The third way that I see Jewish ideas intersecting with craft practice is in terms of activism and tzedakah, or charity. A lot of the women I've been interviewing do things like making blankets for chemo patients, making hats for babies and NICUs. I've been embedded with a synagogue knitting group that makes all kinds of objects for people who need them. So a lot of women speak about their Jewishness in relationship to their crafting as something that informs the reason that they, they make something. So a Jewish object is not just a ritual object. It can also be something made with an intention of assistance. This also intersects with political activism. You heard a little bit of that in my description of Kathy Perlmutter's Plagues on Them matzah cover. She expressed her political convictions in her art. But most interestingly, in terms of modern politics, it's late 2017. At the beginning of 2017, uh, during the Women's March that took place in January 
January 2017, just after the inauguration, a lot of women knit something uh, known colloquially as the pussy hat, a pink hat with cat ears that was on a lot of women at the Women's March. It created a kind of unified pink visual, especially in overhead photography of the march, and became a symbol of resistance for a lot of liberal Jewish women and a lot of liberal women across the country. So you might be asking, what does this have to do with Judaism or religion studies? As it turns out, one of the co-creators of the Pussy Hat is a woman named Jana Sweeman, who in a lot of interviews has talked about the way that her Jewish background influenced her involvement in what we call craftivism, crafting for activist purposes. Sweeman said she calls the project her Tikkun Olam to the Max moment. Tikkun Olam is a Hebrew term for repair of the world, often used by Jewish activists to speak about their urge to heal the world, to help it by bringing people together. So I found this moment very interesting, and I've been in contact with her and will be speaking with her for my book as well, because how we understand Jewishness evolves and takes on a lot of different inflections in the modern world. So everything from making a hat to for a baby to making a hat for political protest can, for some people, be understood as a kind of Jewish act. Three final takeaways from my research. If I wanted you to leave my classroom thinking three things about what it means to study religion in the modern world, here are three I would want you to know. The first is that researching religion is intimate. There's a great book about the practice of ethnography, this thing I'm doing, talking to people, learning about their lives, and it's called Learning from Strangers. It is an absolute gift and a privilege and a very rare thing to be welcomed into the home of someone you've never met before, maybe just met on email. You've flown across the country and they're willing to share their stories with you. They're willing to show you their objects, to be photographed, to share from their lives in order to create new knowledge. That's something I take very seriously. And I think a lot of times people can think of religion as something that's institutional, that's hard to access. And a lot of what I'm doing is very profoundly intimate. So that's takeaway one. And it's something I really think about and wrestle with as I'm thinking about how to write up my research in a way that is both analytical, but also tries to really represent the experience of the people that I'm studying. The second point is that everyone is organized by something. Now that's a quote. Last week here at the Lehigh University Religion Studies Department, we hosted Katie Lofton, professor at Yale University, who's written a wonderful book called Consuming Religion. And I've taken that quote as very inspirational for my own research. When I'm studying Jewish women and creative culture, they're not just creators, they're also consumers. They're also buying the fabrics that they use to make these objects. They're also selling their patterns to other women. Now that's not bad. Cons consumption isn't bad. We don't have to be cynical about it. But it is a kind of organization. Um, and so I'm taking inspiration from other scholars in the field of religious studies who are really thinking about consumer behavior and how we are organized by what we make, but we're also made by what we consume. So that's a big theme in this project and something I'm thinking about heavily. 
Finally, I'd want you to take away the idea that religion is material and embodied. A lot of times, students come into my classes and they say, I want to know about what people from this tradition believe. I want to know what Buddhists believe. I want to know what Jews believe. I want to know what Muslims believe. Now, belief is absolutely an important category for the study of religion. No question. I'm not trashing it. But it's also important to learn what people eat, what people feel, how people sound. There's a terrific scholar at Ohio State, Isaac Weiner, who's written a book, and he asks us, how does religion sound? So I guess you could say I'm asking, how does religion feel? Constance Klassen, in a book called The Book of Touch, tells us that touch is, quote, the hungriest sense. Now, that's fun because it's a mixed metaphor, right? We think of hunger associated with a different feeling, with taste. But I'm taking that challenge of touch very seriously in talking to people about an often understudied sense. Part of what I love about my project is that it connects, actually, with all five senses. We touch objects, we hear objects, and we hear sound, we listen, we smell. People talk about the smell of yarn sometimes, and it's musty, it's beautiful. And we see things. We see visual culture. We look at the colors. We look at the contrast. So in Crafting Judaism, I'm spending a great deal of time learning from strangers, trying to get a sense of what Jewishness in contemporary America looks, feels, sounds, and maybe even tastes like. Thank you.